0: So I hope your Christmas season is going well. I heard a couple of you went to Leavenworth yesterday. How many people have gone to Leavenworth this Christmas season? That's an intense trip, but you did it and it was fun, right? It was really fun. Well, that's, that, it was like what? Thousands of people. I'm sorry. Thousands of people does not sound fun to me.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I'm, uh, I think I'm getting old. I, I like my, I like my couch. I like hot chocolate and nobody else. <laughs> so we're smack dab in the middle of it all. And have you noticed, I, I've noticed that sometimes it just feels like people set themselves up for failure during this holiday season. All right. Because they want perfection. Right. Even that trip to, to um, Leavenworth or going into Seattle or whatever it might be, you want Perfection. You want the perfect Christmas, perfect decorations, perfect holiday music. You got to have the perfect gift wrapping. Some of you are really obsessed with your gift wrapping. I am not as obsessed. Uh, Some of you want the perfect family. Well, newsflash, the minute you joined the family, it became very imperfect And, and you just want the perfect Christmas. Some of us, we've set the bar so very high and then when we don't reach that, when perfection doesn't happen, we allow it to ruin our day, maybe our week, maybe the entire season. We get all stressed out, we get depressed, and we go down this dysfunctional path of of thinking that everybody else is having the perfect Christmas. Everybody else, but I'm missing out. Well, newsflash, nobody's having the perfect Christmas, or at least your version of the perfect Christmas. It's an exciting time. I love Christmas, but it can be very busy, can't it? Have you noticed the schedule begins to fill up and it can be very challenging. Finances can be tight. Uh, Addictions can rear their ugly head during this time because of stress. That relational dysfunction that you've kind of been able to hide and manage the rest of the year. Now, maybe it's your defensiveness. Maybe it's your insecurities. Now, all of a sudden, that's coming up at the worst time, right? At the Christmas party with your friends and your family. So it can just be a very difficult season. Life spring, here's what I want us to do. Each one of us to do this season. Instead of trying to have the perfect Christmas, I encourage you with everything I have to encourage you to follow the perfect Christ. Follow the perfect Christ. Follow Him. Follow hard after Him. Let Jesus be your passion. Let knowing Him be your goal. This season, whether that party is a success or nobody shows up, you... Follow Christ, whether it's thirty degrees at zoo lights or whether it's snowing or raining, whatever it might be, you follow hard after the Lord. Whether you have the night where you, you know, this is one of my favorite things to do, where you turn off all the lights and you light the candles and you make the hot chocolate and you listen to Bing Crosby or Nat King Cole Christmas, or if like a couple of years ago the power goes out, you follow hard after Christ. You're you're never going to be satisfied with the stuff of Christmas. But you can be satisfied with Christ. And and I'm not saying don't do those things. Again, I'm a Christmas nut. Embrace the season. It's a wonderful time. I love Christmas. But don't let the circumstances of the season steal away the joy of the season. Right? That's right. Now Mary and I, we were at Long Beach this last weekend. And thank you so much. That was our pastor officiation gift from you guys. And we really had a lot of fun. Uh, it was a great time together. It snowed, as you can see. That's actually the beach. The ocean is in the back. It had snow on the beach. I'd never seen snow before. It was really cool. We drove out um, to the parking lot so we could walk out onto the beach. Many of you remember that the last time we went to the ocean, I got my van stuck in the ocean. There's a beautiful little picture, and and the water actually came underneath our van, so that wasn't too much fun. So this time, no way were we driving out onto the beach, so I went to the parking lot and parked the vehicle. Well, this time, I did something even more ridiculous. We were walking along, and I lost my keys. I lost my keys in the beach in the sand, and I'm not sure where, they just... Fell out of my pocket. I began to look for the keys while the family waited in the van, and then I couldn't find them, so I came back. And then Mary went out and she looked for the keys and she couldn't find them. I mean, really, good luck finding your keys when you got a beach covered in snow. <laughs> but we didn't find them. But well, we had to call a locksmith. Two hundred fifty dollars later, we had keys to start the van, and we got away from the ocean. We got far, far away from the ocean. <laughs> but did you know God? God did a miracle. During that whole episode, during that whole time, Mary and I, we never yelled or bickered at each other. Not once. She never blamed me or, or kept on, you know, telling me, Hey, you know, keep better track of the keys or, you know, things like that. I never snapped and yelled at her or yelled at the kids. Um, We didn't do that. None of it. We prayed. We looked for the keys, couldn't find them, called a locksmith, and then we got in the van. A couple hours later than we had planned, but we got in the van, went to a local bakery. If you've ever been to the bakery in Long Beach, It's phenomenal. And we had some sandwiches and we enjoyed the rest of our day. I know how that scenario could have played out. I know how it plays out in several families, maybe even your family. Everybody gets stressed out, right? Starts yelling at each other, blaming each other. Where at the end of it all. Everybody's still eating those same sandwiches, but they eat them silently knowing that everyone is on edge and that the day has been ruined. But it doesn't have to be that way. See, we have a choice in life. We have a choice. We, we can take... We can actually, the Bible tells us, we have the power to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. As spirit-filled believers, we can actually have the mind and the attitude of Christ. And I'm not saying that Mary and I always do it perfect. In fact, last night we were trying to make it to the Hudson's and we had a great dinner with them, but our GPS failed and we weren't close to the Hudson's and it got a little intense. Um, Mary and I still love each other, but uh, it was one of those other moments that you have as a married couple. But I would just encourage you, this season, follow Christ. Whether this year is the Norman Rockwell Christmas, or if it's the worst Christmas ever, if the tree burns up, whatever, just follow Christ. Pursue the things of God, and you will be satisfied, truly satisfied. Listen to Psalm 63. It gives us such a wonderful model example of what it looks like to passionately pursue God. I read, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Isn't that beautiful? So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Amen. It says my soul, my soul will be satisfied with you. It says my soul will cling to you. So this season, over the next few weeks, run hard after Him. Cling to Him. Passionately pursue Him. Passionately pursue the perfect Christ. And you will be satisfied. Amen? Amen. 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 Perfect Christ. So today we're continuing our series entitled First Christmas. The first uh, week, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the wise men who had traveled a very long distance, bringing those three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we asked the question to ourselves... What is the offering that we are bringing the king? Last week, Pastor Adam spoke and he talked about Elizabeth. And he spoke and said and showed how God brings life to barren places. This week, we have two more characters who are a part of this first Christmas. uh, The innkeeper and Joseph. But before we go any further, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that even in the midst... Of all of this, even if it's messy, that there is perfection in you. And that we can keep our eyes on you, the perfect Christ. Help us to remember that when the yes. things of this world try to distract us from you, Lord. I pray that today, I know that there is a stress in this room even now. And I pray, Lord, that they would lay these things at the foot of your cross. And again, put their gaze and put their eyes towards you, God. The perfect Christ.
2: In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Had I known then what I know now, there'd have been room in my end. I mean, I'd have given my own bed to that couple, but I didn't know. How could I? I mean, this place was packed. I'd never seen so many people in Bethlehem. The government, they'd made everybody go to their hometown and register. register. They just wanted their money, right? Well, since nobody wants to stay at the in-laws, I'm booked. Booked solid. That's when, I remember that day. Everything we had, every space we had was booked before dinner time. A couple hours later, that's when they showed up. Talk about desperate. He looked scared, exhausted. And her, she's about ready to burst. So they're making their way up to me. I'm thinking in my head, what am I going to say to this couple? I'm so sorry. We have no room. But then they get there. He looks down, trying to collect his thoughts. She's kind of wincing in pain a little bit. He looks up at me and says, please. That's it. Please. Let me tell you a story. I'm five or six years old. I'm helping my mother set the table. And I notice we have too many plates. I say, Ma, we got too many plates here. She goes, just make room. i thinking, huh? She looks at me and says, you never know who God's going to bring. You always make room. So I look at this man and his very pregnant wife. I said, I don't know where we're going to put you, but we'll make room. So we made room. It wasn't the best place, but it's all I had to give them. So I guess my mom was right. You always make room, especially for God.
0: Uh, this, This skit today has hit me pretty hard. If it isn't for anybody else, it's for me. See, making room, it cuts me to my core. See, as a church, we've run out of room. Our sanctuary is full. Our parking lots full. We had to build another. We built that, by the way, the one behind the church. They let us do that. Classrooms were full. We had 20 kids in that little classroom with the windows a couple of weeks ago. Um, and over the past couple of months, there's been a clear call from the Lord to make room. That's a hard call for me to answer. Because I love this. I love this. Family, I I love this church. I enjoy our time that we have together so very much. God's in this place. I mean, have you seen how God is moving his Holy Spirit? And there's this thing going on of miracle after miracle. And and I'm just so excited to be a part of what's going on. and I love it. And I don't want to mess with it. But yet the call has remained. Make room, make room. Leadership team, they've been ready. They've been ready since the beginning of the fall uh, to make room. But I've waited. I was joking with someone, um, that footprints, you know, poem or whatever, where, you know, they have the footprints. And my version was, God, what was the time when, um, there was two tracks in the sand? And, and it's when he says, that's when I dragged you.
1: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> but, you know, this past weekend at the ocean, I had some time to relax, to spend some quiet time with the Lord. And, I felt like this is what he asked me. Why are you being so selfish? Why are you being so selfish? Because I love what we're doing so very much here that I've not made any room for other people. God was right. I've been selfish. Loving this family, I didn't want anything to change. But the harvest is ripe. And God's love is on the move. And he's calling us to be a part of what he is doing in this community of Edgewood and Milton and Fife and So the Lord told me a couple of things this weekend and I had to tell the Lord a couple of things as well. Number one, I told him I was sorry. Sorry for my selfishness. Number two, that I love him. And number three, that I want to follow him. Because I do. I love him with everything I have. And I want to follow him wherever he leads us. And so right now he is asking us and leading us to make room. So I emailed the leadership team Saturday night, to let them know that we, Life spring, we are making room. So starting January 12th, we're going to go to two services. 845, which is really early. Some of you think that's perfect. <laughs> I'll be here. I'll try my best. <laughs> and 11 a.m. So 845 and 11 a.m. And I got to be honest, I have no idea how this is going to go. Uh, To be honest, we've been talking about this since last January. And so we got the structurally and strategically, we got it all figured out. Each ministry has a game plan on how this is going to go. But God didn't tell me whether this was going to be a huge success or a tremendous flop. He didn't let me in on the details, which we always want to know the details. He just said, make room. And so we're going to need your help. If you can serve, we want you to serve. Especially in two ministries, in kids' ministry, and then also set up and tear down. We would love to see one group set up for the day and another group, a second group, tear down for the day. And for set up and tear down, we will put you to work today. Even if this is your first day at the church, we would love to use you. In fact, Kent, are you here? Raise your hand. If you want to help us out, just talk to Kent and he will put you to work. For children's ministry, we have the requirement of you being here at least six months And that's for everybody's safety. But please let us know. Any ministry, if you see a need, you just call us, you email us, talk to any of the leaders. We will point you to the person that is in charge of that ministry and help you get involved. At this time, I want to ask the ushers to go ahead and hand out an info card regarding this transition. Put on there some uh, frequently asked questions or things that I've heard people talk about. And so I've tried to address some of those things. A couple of things I wanted to highlight from up here as they pass them out. Number one, the two services will be identical. Identical. One of the strengths of this body, I believe, is its diversity in age, in abilities, in personalities. I love the mix that we have. I don't want to lose that. And so one service isn't going to be more traditional, and one service more contemporary, one where we do more hymns, one where we do more Jesus culture. None of that. It, they will be identical services. And number two, I love the family that God has brought together here, so we're going to have to fight for that. We're just going to have to kind of say we're going to keep it, right? Keep the unity, keep the community, which will mean we're probably going to have to have some more potlucks. So, you know, bring the fried chicken or whatever you bring. We're going to have to do some more worship nights, uh, times where we can come together and pray and worship the Lord. And then just events, fun events where we can all gather together. And we've got to be proactive in this area. And then finally, moving to two services, and this is really important to me, it's not about... It's so funny, this is awful, but I saw myself in that mirror back there, and I was like, man, I am gaining some weight. <laughs> I'm in the middle of announcing two services, and I'm like, suck it in, boy. <laughs> so I love life. This is awesome. <laughs> but finally, going to two services isn't about building... A bigger church. I could care less how big this church is. I don't need a big church to fill my ego or to make me happy. If you asked anyone on the leadership team, they would all say the same thing. In fact, if this church is getting too big for you, listen up. One of my new best friends, Pastor Tom Gordon, is pastoring his heart out two blocks down the road at Hope Foursquare Church. You have my blessings to go check it out. Be a part of the good work God is doing over there. He would love it. This isn't about growing a big church, but it's about opening the doors. It's about each one of us making sacrifices, right? To stop being so selfish. To make sacrifices and make room for our community so that we can fulfill the mission that God has given us. The mission to win people for Christ. To build strong disciples and to send out mighty men and women into this world to reach people for Christ. Eternities are at stake. That's what my supervisor texted me yesterday. He said, Dan, I know you love the family, but eternities are at stake. So we must make room. Going to two services will help us accomplish that. As Jesus proclaims in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before we move on, I want to read something I read this week by author Tom Schultz. He wrote this while working with some churches in India. This is good. He's talking about the church in general. He says, we were there with a team from Life Tree Adventures to help obscure churches conduct their ministries in the slums of Delhi. What we witnessed there gave me a glimpse of the church's true identity. We met passionate, dedicated church leaders and members who downplay their own comfort and safety to serve in an environment that is predominantly Hindu and Muslim and often outwardly anti-Christian. Here, they've humbly established communities of Christ followers without fanfare, flash." Or flare. Many of their places of worship don't even bear an identifying sign. They meet in the spare room of a house, or in a small rented space, or in an open area along an alleyway. Once they gather more people than the space can accommodate, they establish another small church in another location. When the faithful gather, their praises, songs, and prayers fill the neighborhood air. They're not there to listen to professional musicians, they're there to worship together. With joy and heart. They often linger long after the service to pray for one another's needs. And not just on Sunday. We watched as God's people gathered spontaneously on any day at any time to join in worship. Here in Delhi, the church's presence and outreach is based on meeting this is good, on meeting neighbors' real needs and building authentic relationships. One of our pastor friends here has been patiently building friendships in an enclave of snake charmers. In terms of converts, it's slow going. <laughs> but he's not preoccupied with numbers. He's focused on delivering the love of Christ to his friends one by one. The church in the slums of Delhi is not consumed with what the American church sometimes called the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. Instead, this is a church focused on the enveloping love of Christ, A contagious community of faith that shares in fellowship around the one true God who loves each individual individually. That's the church. LifeSpring, I want that so desperately for us. That we would be a church who is focused on the enveloping love of Christ. A contagious community of faith that shares in the fellowship around the one true God who loves each individual individually. As we think about each individual that we don't know yet, who will walk through those doors, who will take up a seat, who will take up a place here at the church. I would just, I would love if we could take a moment to pray over this place, to pray over this building, to pray over this sanctuary, that uh, we would pray over each individual seat. In fact, maybe you could just put your hand out, touch the chair you're sitting on. If you see an empty chair next to you, you can reach out and touch that one as well. And let's just begin to pray for those who will be sitting in these seats as we make room for the love of God, as we make room for God to touch this community, one individual at a time. So, Pastor Randy, would you come on up and lead us in a prayer as we just just take some time to pray for these seats?
3: Hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 God is moving by His Spirit, moving across the land, and part of the land is right here at Life Spring. I look around this room. And I know a lot of you personally, and I know the, the the heartaches. And the prayers that have been needed for you to get through, for the miracles to get through, to come back from death's bed, for broken hearts, broken marriages, God is moving by His Spirit. Hallelujah. There's something special going on. A couple of weeks ago, we had a prayer time where we all broke into prayers. I'll be real brief. We broke into prayers into small groups. And I told Pastor Dan, I said, Dan, I just stood back and watched, and watched the body of Christ praying for each other and ministering to each other, holding each other up. It was so awesome to see God move. Where well, you just sit back and go, look at that, God. A couple of weeks ago, I happened to be standing over in the corner, and you all were praising and look around, you know, there's there's quite a few folks here now. It's a good thing. And it was so good to see all of you just in worship, raising your hands, worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and not holding back, and not holding back. From First Chronicles, just one verse. This is called the Prayer of Jabez, and it says there was a man named Jabez who was more distinguished. Than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was one who prayed to God of Israel, and this is his prayer. In fact, maybe you can repeat after me. We'll do it in sections, okay? Oh God, oh that you would bless me and extend my lands, please be with me in all that I do. And keep me from trouble and pain. And God granted his request. We're right on the threshold of going to where God is leading. And if that's two services, the reason it's happening is because Jesus is being taught. Salvations are being made. People are being accepting the Holy Spirit into their lives. Miracles are happening. And we're giving up on ourselves and focusing on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is moving, obviously. So let's just pray. We're on a new threshold, a new beginning in Christ. Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you for your hand upon us. We thank you that you have not taken your hand away from us, but you put your hand on this church and this body and the leadership. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the healings and the salvations and the baptism in the holy spirit and the young people that are coming into the children's ministry lord we thank you how you are moving throughout the community through us the presence of jesus in us touching our world so lord we just pray in the mighty name of jesus that you will bless this all these chairs lord all these chairs they're not chairs lord they're souls they're souls and some of them are just as broke as you and i were in the past and they need you, Lord. They need you. So, Lord, we pray for, just lead. Holy Spirit, lead. Let there be revival. Let there be renewal. Let there be excitement. Let there be passion in Jesus' name. Let there be an excitement that when we come in the door, that there is nothing that will keep us from the glory of God. Oh, keep your hand on us, Lord. Keep your hand on us. Will be forever in your presence, and so grateful for who you are in our lives, Lord. This time of year, we get to accept your gift again, your amazing gift of salvation. And you said at one time, "If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me." And what he was talking about, he was just about ready to go to the cross, and he said, "If I be, if Jesus be lifted up, I will draw all men." to me and Lord we thank you that you have put that into the heart of Pastor Dan and all the leadership that that is the key if we lift up Jesus then Jesus be ever present ever moving totally in control and we just got to get out of the way and let him do his thing and help in the process so Lord bless your people bless the people that are coming we thank you for the new life the new souls <laughs> You are so good. You're so good. And we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Can we just celebrate God? (laughs) Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Love it. We only get to live this life once, and he's making me squirm. I I think that's just the coolest thing, that God loves me enough to put some tax underneath my seat and get me out of my comfort zone and push me forward. And He's doing that for each one of you. And I just encourage you, there's going to be something specific where you're going to say, God, I don't know about this. But He's going to say, please, just obey me. Sacrifice. And I'm just excited for what we're doing. It's an exciting time to be at this church. I cannot think of a better time to invite your friends, especially as Wayne was talking about. um, Not about what he was talking about my wife, but what he was talking about next Sunday morning. We got two services. They're going to be 9 o'clock and 11. I'm already looking forward to those services. They're going to be great. We're going to be introducing two more characters that were at that first Christmas, the Shepherds and Mary. But did you notice Mary, not my Mary, but the Mary with the thing on her head... But she probably didn't have that thing in her head, by the way. That's more of a Catholic thing. But anyways, <laughs> first I'm looking at the mirror, now I'm talking about Mary. Anyways, but have you noticed that Mary gets a lot of dialogue, a lot of discussion about Mary, but the guy sitting next to her, we barely even mentioned. In fact, does anyone know the guy's name that was standing next to Mary? Joseph. Uh, let's go ahead and hear a little bit from Joseph.
1: It was the longest, most difficult, scariest, exciting, confusing, most wonderful day of my life. When you realize that God has called you to be a father, there's nothing I can compare that to. When he has deemed you fit to be the stepfather of his son, it's a bit overwhelming. <laughs> he is a perfectly healthy, happy baby boy. Born like most every other baby, I understand why they call it labor. I've worked every day since I was 12. And never in my life have I worked as hard as Mary did that night. And Mary, she's amazing. Through it all. Not just the birth. But the months of the people talking about us behind our backs. The week-long trip to Bethlehem. After all that, I watched as she turned a feeding trough into a cradle, and it didn't even faze her. She's amazing. Through it all, she didn't even ask why. She just did everything that God told her to do knowing that even if she didn't understand everything that was going on, what she did know, what she did know was that God was in control. She was open to His will. I understand why God chose her. I really do. But what I don't understand I can't figure out is why God chose me.
0: I love what he says there at the end. He says I get why God chose Mary, but what I don't understand, what I don't get, Thank you. is why God chose me. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, it makes sense for God to use everybody and anybody else in the in the world for His plans for His glory, but me, nah he could never use someone like me we're going to dive into that a little bit but before I do let's read the Bible's account of Joseph this man standing next to Mary from Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25 Matthew that's the beginning of your New Testament Matthew Mark Luke John we're going to be in chapter 1 verses 18 to 25. I never paid too much attention to the story of Joseph growing up. Everybody was talking about Mary. If they weren't talking about Mary, they were talking about Jesus. But this Joseph guy, no, not Joseph. He was the passive husband who just kind of stood at the manger scene. He didn't have any lines in the nativity play. He just stood there. But my perception of Joseph, it changed when I met my beautiful wife, Mary. Because when I asked Mary to be my wife, I also asked this cute little three-year-old boy... To be my stepson. He had a name. I never heard his name before. It was Trevin. And I have loved Trevin from the very beginning. Though he wasn't too sure of me. The first time I met him. I was actually practicing some music in the youth worship room. And he comes in. Little boy. He was two or three years old. Has his hands on his ears. Yelling too loud. Too loud. But even that made me love him. And you know I've always treated him as if he was my own. In my eyes, he is the same as my daughter Ava or my daughter Addie. He is a part of the family. One day I'm going to end up giving him my car, which he's pretty excited about. I'm probably going to help him and pay for some of his college. I'm going to do everything I can to help him out in life. Trevor and I, we pray together. We read the Bible together. We play together. We have so much fun together. I love him. I would die for him. But along with me, he also has a dad, a biological dad, who lives, who lives in Spokane, and his dad loves Trevin so very much. But this fact, it never changed my love for Trevin. And I've seen how others treat their stepchildren, where maybe they're more distant from them, not fully engaged in their life. And and there's a lot of different reasons, a lot of different circumstances why you might have stepchildren, each situation being being unique. So I'm not here to judge how others treat their stepchildren. I just never had a real good model or a good example of what what I felt like God was calling me to do with Trevin. But all that changed the first Christmas together that we had as a family. Because I studied scriptures and I realized something I'd never realized before. Joseph is a stepdad. He's a stepdad, right? Jesus, he was born of a virgin. It wasn't Joe's son. The paternity test came up negative. No, in fact, you can't even go that far because you know it wasn't his son because they didn't consummate the marriage until after Mary had given birth. Joseph, he's a stepdad. When I realized that eight years ago, I got so excited. If Joseph can do it, I can do it. I mean, can you imagine being Joseph after Jesus is born? It must have been so hard. You're walking down the street and they're like, Joe, is that your son? And he's like, no, it's my stepson. He's like, well, who's the father? And you're like, God. (laughs) I mean, that's a tough gig. Tough gig. But look at what Joseph does. He faithfully takes this boy into his family and he raises him. In both the Gospels of Mark and Matthew, we see that Jesus, he was a carpenter just like his stepfather. He raised him up and he taught him his trade. But none of this had to happen. It could have ended way back before Jesus was even born. Remember, I just read this. Remember from this passage, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, she was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was going to divorce Mary quietly. According to Jewish law, he had the justification to do so. But instead, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He did what the angel told him to do. He obeyed God. Very important. He obeyed God. And he took Mary home to be his wife, named the boy Jesus, and he raised him up to be a carpenter. When I read that for the first time after I got married, it was such an encouragement to me. Joseph did it where the circumstances were all against him. I mean, think about the ridicule and the shame and the scorn, the pressures of the law and of the customs. He didn't listen to any of it. He listened to God. He did it. And I just shared how that applies to my life, but I want you to think, how does that apply to yours? When you're thinking, what's the deal? I can't do this. The odds are stacked against me. It's an impossible situation. I don't know what I'm doing. How could I ever succeed in this? I'm here to tell you, don't look. At all the circumstances, look to God. Look to God. He might be calling you to the impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. Can you imagine what Joseph must have felt like? The impossibility of raising the Son of God. But if that's what he's called you to do, then you just do it. You do it. Look at Joseph. Joseph, he says, yes. He relies on God to give him what he needs. And for you and I, we need to say yes and rely God to give us everything that we need. And I would love to say that when all is said and done, by the grace of God, we can say, yes, I did it. Again, I love what he said at the end of the drama. He says, I get why God chose Mary, but what I don't get is why he chose me. Now, we don't really know if Joseph said that. It's not in the Bible. It's it's a great drama, but it doesn't say that in scriptures. But that's often how we feel about our life. I mean, we can understand God choosing somebody else to do something amazing for Him, but when we look at ourselves, we just don't see it. I mean, most of us, when we wake up and we look at ourselves in the mirror getting ready for the day, we don't have a very good impression or image of ourselves. This is pretty normal, pretty common. See, all we can see is our flaws and our imperfections. And so we head out into our day struggling with those insecurities, feeling inadequate, incapable of doing anything of value or importance. And this happens to us in this room as Christians all the time as well. We believe, yes, God can use people to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, but he could never use me. I could never do that. Or, yes, he's going to use someone to feed the hungry by starting a food bank or helping those in need by opening up a clothing store. Yes, God is calling people to do that. Not me. I could never do that. God, He's going to use someone to reach those at-risk youth. I mean, have you seen them walking up and down the street? But me, I don't have the resources or the abilities to do that. I'd screw it up. So we look at the world through the lens of inadequacy. Listen up. If God has called you to something, He will be faithful to give, give you what you need to do it. I want to say that again. If God has called you to something, He's going to be faithful to give you what you need to do it. So like Nike says, Stop arguing. Stop giving all of the excuses why it will never work. You're not God, newsflash. God chooses who He chooses, and who are we to argue with God? If God chose Joseph to raise the Son of God, then let it be. If God chooses me to help raise Trevin into the man of God, then bring it on. If God chooses you to start a foot washing ministry, or become a foster parent, or serve the homeless, or take care of a widow, or bless the single mother, or sponsor a child, serve your neighbor, pray for your enemy, get another job, move across the country, or just stand for your feet, and let it be. Second Peter one three it says his, by his divine power he has given us everything we need everything we need for a godly life everything we need for a godly life by his power you can face this life with confidence knowing you my friend you my child of God you are not inadequate you are not lacking you have everything you need Joseph understood this we need to understand this God chose God chose Joseph. God chose Joseph to take Mary as his wife and raise up the Son of God. And he had everything he needed in the Lord to do it. Just like God had chosen Joseph, he also called me to take my Mary as my wife and raise up Trevon Severy to the best of my abilities. And by God's power, I have everything I need to do it. That's the question for us today. Is what has God chosen you to do? Are you embracing his calling? And do you believe... He's going to give you everything you need to do it. It's good questions. Let's go to Ephesians 2.10. This one fires me up like nothing else. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do, say it with me, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has chosen us ahead of time before we ever came onto the scene He chose things for us to do prepared in advance. That fires me up. That gives me a confidence that when I wake up for my day, this day is not by accident. It is not by coincidence. It is a purpose-driven day. God has things for me to do. For instance, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that God has called me to be your pastor. I know it. It was the call of God on my life. I don't know how long it will last, but I do know that this season and the season that we are in is not by accident. No way. It's the work of God. But think with me. Think of all the steps of faith that had to be taken by so many people for this to happen, for me to be your senior pastor. Steps of faith by my old senior pastor over in Spokane, Pastor Mike, and by Pastor Chad and the council and my divisional superintendent and the district supervisor and on and on and on. Each one of us having to take a step of faith embracing what God was calling us to do. And you, right now, you are being called to something. And yet it is so easy to allow the things of this world to distract us from following the will of God in our lives, right? Whatever it might be, you name it, fear or anxiety or the what if questions of life that keep us from doing what God has called us to do. And I get it. You don't have it all figured out. In fact, more often than not, you're going to have more questions than you do answers. But you are being called to take a step of faith in a spiritual sense. You are being called to take Mary as your wife. Even though the world's going to ridicule you and mock you, you are being called to kill Goliath, even though the giant is laughing in your face. You are being called to go through the Red Sea, even though the waves look like they're going to devour you. You have been chosen. But now you've got to take that step of faith. And just like Joseph, you must say yes to God. Say yes to God and take that step of faith. Embrace the call of God in your life. Anybody else having fun yet? I'm so excited today. This is good. This is good. All right. Part of Joseph's journey, it led him to the little town of. Yeah, you know, the song. That's the only part I know, actually. So <laughs> so Luke chapter two, it says it this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while queer. guest room available for them. So Joseph, he is on this God train. He is excited. He's listening to the angel. He's agreeing not to divorce Mary, but yet take her as his wife. And he is going to see this baby boy delivered. Just so happens that at the same time, there's this worldwide census. So they got to go to Bethlehem. They get to Bethlehem and guess what? No room in the inn. No room in the end. Have you ever encountered this in your own life? You know God has chosen you. He's called you to do something. You obediently follow Him and then bam. No room in the end. Thanks for nothing. Right? If you're a Christian here, if you followed hard after God, you know that this happens again and again and again. You have walked and you have submitted yourself to His will. And you get to your destination and there just ain't no room. It happens all the time. You thought you were supposed to be a doctor. You thought you were supposed to marry him. You thought you were going to be a full-time missionary. You thought you'd have five children. You thought you'd be living in Africa. You thought, you thought, you thought, and then bam! No room in the end. You followed God, and at the end of your journey, there was no room. And this is where real, authentic Christianity gets separated From mainstream cultural Christianity. See, the cultural Christian, they accept Christ. Sounds awful, but it's true. The cultural Christian, we accept Christ because we're trying to get something from God, right? Kind of like he's a spiritual ATM or a spiritual slot machine. And we just pull the handle of God and we're like, give me something good. Give me something good right? Maybe it's health. I I want you to heal me. Or maybe it's fame. God, I want to be known. Or maybe it's wealth. A lot of Christians love the idea of God giving us wealth. So we love the idea of Him making us prosperous, making us rich. So we're just pulling that handle. Come on, God. Come on, God. Strike it rich. But none of that is the goal of the authentic Christ follower. Now, the beauty of the Lord is He does heal and He does provide. In fact, we are more than prosperous in the Lord. But that's not why we follow him. We don't follow him for the results. We follow him because we love him. We follow him because he loves us. He died for us. He saved us. He rescued us. And it's out of this love relationship that we trust God with the circumstances of our life. Believing that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. So when that door closes, you just trust God. You trust God that He is up to something good. You can say, God, I don't, I don't know what you're up to. God, I don't have you completely figured out. But I'm going to trust you on this one. I'm going to trust that you love me, that you care for me, that you're on my side, that you are for me and not against me, and that you are faithful to deliver me. This is the story of Mary and Joseph. Look at them. They travel to Bethlehem, and there's no guest rooms available for them, but they trust God. They don't give up in despair like so many Christians do, deciding to stop following God because life got hard. No, they trust God to make a way. And at the same time, I'm sure it was completely inconvenient that there were no rooms. It was not a pretty picture. Who wants to deliver a baby boy in an animal feeding trough? It's a nightmare. But you must remember, Jesus, he wasn't meant to be born In a guest room. He was meant to be born in a manger. Listen to what happens because he's born in a manger. Instead of that convenience of a guest room. Listen to who comes on the scene. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. And saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on peace and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured all these things up in her heart and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things things they had heard and seen which were just as they have been told it's an incredible passage it is a passage of glory of praise of worship and adoration but it all takes place i believe because there was no room in the inn. it's a scene that was destined to be around a manger think about how that applies in your own life think about the obstacles in your life the no room in the inn experiences of life the things where you, you knew you were obeying God, but yet things didn't turn out like you thought they should. The results of obedience sometimes can be a tad bit disappointing. Anybody else? Absolutely. I've had more of these in my life, more stories of this in my life than I have time to share today, but literally hundreds of stories. I'll just share one, a big one. is when Pastor Chad left. He was the former pastor of this church. And when he left, when Pastor Chad and Navon moved to Clarkston, You've got to understand, Mary and, I, and myself, we came here for Pastor Chad and Yvonne. When we originally came from Spokane, and this is going to sound bad, but it's the truth. We didn't come for this community. We didn't come for this church. The Lord had told us to come to support and encourage Pastor Chad and Yvonne. That was the reason. We were called to them. Mary and I were called to come to serve them, to work for them, to bless them. And so we obeyed God by coming to Edgewood. When they decided to leave for Clarkston, it was a big deal for Mary and I, because the reason we were here was leaving. Our reason for moving our entire family 300 miles west over the mountains was going back over those same mountains just south to Clarkston. Bam! We had traveled, and all of a sudden, there was no room in the inn. And the week after Chad and Yvonne told us that they were leaving, it was intense. Mary and I, we, we really had to sit down. I said, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What is going on? We obeyed you, and now we're stuck in Bethlehem without a room. We thought we had come here to serve Pastor Chad and Yvonne for the next 10, 20 years. But God had different plans. Joseph and Mary, they were ready after a long and exhausting journey to Bethlehem. They were ready for a guest room. But God had different plans. And this is hard for us as human beings. It's hard to always put our trust in God's plan for our lives. But we must remember this morning that God's plan is always better than our plan. We serve a good God. God's plan. Pastor Chad Navon moved to Clarkston to bless a struggling church. And I accept the appointment as your senior pastor. God's plan. Jesus is going to be born of of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem in a manger and the angels and the shepherds are going to rejoice. Listen up, in our lives, this is so very important. When things don't go as planned, when things don't go as they should, don't give up on God. I think this is specifically for just a couple of you in this room. When things don't work out just right, don't give up on God. In fact, when you hit that bump, in the road, or face that obstacle in your life. That's when you need to press in with ridiculous faith. Being completely obedient to the will of God. Especially when it doesn't make sense. Putting a baby in a manger, does that make sense? That makes no sense. But they did it. They trusted God with the circumstances of their life. To obey Him, even when it feels completely absurd and it's confusing... But to obey Him, and when you do that, when you serve Him with ridiculous faith, you are setting yourself up for, pay attention, you are setting yourself up to be used by God in the most glorious, awe-filled, and miraculous ways. Look at the influence that Mary and Joseph had on these shepherds. <laughs> these shepherds, they are so amazed by what they had just seen. And, and they begin to tell everyone about it, right? They cannot contain their praise and worship to God after witnessing what they had seen. The shepherds' praise is a direct result of Joseph and Mary's obedience to God's call. Take it to 2013. The spiritual and everlasting fruit that we have been so blessed to witness this past year in this church has been in so many ways our it's been our obedience to God. Our obedience to God, our willingness to follow him even when it hasn't always made sense. Complete obedience to the will of God, to follow hard after Him, and by the grace of God and by the goodness of God, and our willingness to answer that call, we are in the midst of a miracle. Do you know that? We are in the midst of a miracle. Things like what have happened, have happened in this church—they don't happen. When a church gets into steady decline like we had, they 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 don't come back the other direction. There's not even enough churches that make that turn. For them to have research and to be able to do the statistics. They call them a turnaround church. They don't even have enough statistics on those kinds of churches. This is a miracle. Come on, I mean come on. What twenty years this is 2013, 20 years ago, nineteen ninety-three, how many of you woke up thinking about Lifespring Church? I don't think many of us were thinking about that. I was thinking about my Sega Genesis. But twenty years later. 20 years later, through all the heartbreak and all the disappointment and the trials and the hardships that you have endured over the past 20 years, God brought you here. Where all the destinations of your life went bam, no room in the end, bam, no room in the end, bam, no room in the end. God led you to the manger. The whole time there was a manger waiting for you. And what you're doing in this community. Life spring church, your obedience to God and everything you say and everything you do is causing the shepherds around us, the shepherds around us to come and witness the miracle of Jesus Christ. And when they come and experience Jesus, they cannot help but to praise and worship God and life spring. Sometimes God calls us to the ridiculous taking a wife that's already pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That is absurd. Just try explaining that to one of your friends. But Joseph, he did it. He did it. He was faithful. He answered the call of God on his life. And I pray that a bunch of Josephs would begin to rise up in this church. We need some more Josephs to rise up. That we would make our decisions not based on the opinions of man, what others might say or think about us. But we would base our actions solely on the word of God and what he is telling us to do. And that each of us by the Holy Spirit might be led to the manger. And that ourselves and others might come and see the King and worship Him. Over the next few months, I'm going to close with this. Worship team can come on up. As we head into this new year, I just feel in my gut that this is what we need. We need some Josephs to rise up. People of ridiculous faith that are willing to do the uncommon, go against the grain. Endure the ridicule and the scorn, willing to be mocked, willing to be made fun of, and follow hard after God. I want to pray for us. And as I do, if that's you, if you want to follow hard after God, as we're praying, I just pray even now that God would speak to you, that you'd be able to open up your heart, open up your life to the Lord today. Ask Him to just have, your way, have His way in your life. Just as we're praying, just say, God, have Your way in my life. Have your way and and ask for things. Ask him for dreams, for new dreams. Ask him for visions. Ask him for new gifts and abilities. Ask him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ask him for boldness, a supernatural boldness. Ask him for strength that in your weakness he might even be strong. Ask him for perseverance. Some of you need some some armor, some, some spiritual armor that can get a little bit stronger. You need some perseverance and ask him for faith faith that would rise up in the midst of the darkness around you, that faith would rise up and you would say yes to God. Lifespring, I'm so looking forward to this new year. I'm looking forward to seeing how each one of you, each one of you, will answer the call of God in your life, will fulfill God's plans and purposes for your life. Lifespring for such a time as this, God has called you. You're not here by accident. We didn't come here by accident. God had a plan. And I get it. We felt like there was no room in the end, And we put it all on God. How many of you have ever done that? Something bad goes on in your life, and you just put it all on God. Sometimes it's because the baby wasn't meant to be born in that guest room. It's meant to be in a manger where the shepherds and the angels could come and rejoice. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are at a defining moment in our church in that I am asking all of us including myself to take a step of faith that doesn't have security underneath it or, or safeguards it really feels like stepping out on a bridge that I cannot see but yet your voice speaks so clearly make room make room and God we need Joseph to rise up in this church people of faith they would stop living for the things of this world, stop chasing after their own desires and their own wants, but instead laying down their life and saying, God, I'm willing to endure the, the scorn, the ridicule, the shame, the public disgrace, all for your glory, God. I'm willing to have people make fun of me on Facebook Or destroy me on Twitter, or to send me nasty emails, to make sure that I am obeying the will of God in my life. God, you have chosen us. Hallelujah. (laughs) You have chosen us. And you are calling us to something bigger and better and greater than ourselves that's you this morning, if if you want to just let God know (laughs) that I'm here and, and I'm tired of living for myself and I'm ready to be a Joseph, if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, all over this place. You bet. All over this place. You bet. Amen. Put your hands down. God, you see our hearts. And that's not phony. That's not just because... We want to raise our hand because so the person next to us is raising our hand. That is the, a genuine Christ follower saying I'm tired of living for the things of this world and I want to be a part of the supernatural. I want to go to Bethlehem. And Lord, when they tell me that there's no room in the inn, I'm not going to give up. I just pray that over this whole church right now, Lord that when the things of this world get slammed in our face and when you look like a fool because you followed hard after God and, and you see nothing, you're like, why did I even do that? All I've endured is ridicule and shame. I pray, God, that You would show us the manger and that You would show us the King of kings and the Lord of lords who was born in that manger and remind us that it's worth it, God. That it's worth it that just as your son endured what he endured on the cross, that we can endure and have perseverance through the trials and through the sufferings. Because in the end, Lord, there is a hope and an after everlasting life that no one can ever take away from us. So that we would rise up, God. I pray that, Lord. Rise up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God just lead us Lord. guide us speak to us remind us that you are good remind us that you're faithful remind us that we can trust you remind us that your love endures forever that your promises are steadfast and true remind us Lord of who you are remind us Lord of your kindness the kindness that leads us to repentance remind us of your grace and your mercy of your patience your patient hand thank you Lord remind us of who you are remind us God remind us Lord as we're on this journey, we're, we're walking to Bethlehem. Remind us, as we're dirty, as we're dusty, as we're exhausted, as we're tired, remind us who you are. Remind us, Lord, when we don't feel any love around us, that, God, you are love and you are within us. Remind us, God, as we're tired and we're thirsty, that, God, you are the great provider, Jehovah Jireh, who provides for our needs. Remind us, God, that when we don't know if we can make it, that you are the well that does not run dry, that you are the living water, that you are the bread of life. Remind us, God, when we can't even see the destination, when the destination is so foggy and and thick with with pollution, Lord, remind us that you are with us every step of the way. And that as we acknowledge you in all our ways, you're going to make our path straight. You're going to direct our path. And we don't have to worry about the destination, whether we even got lost and made it into Nazareth again. That we can just passionately pursue you, God, step by step, by step, by step. And that the end result of our obedience to you, God, is the world coming around the manger scene, seeing the baby boy who is risen to die on the cross, to die for our sins, to raise again, and we can worship Him along with the angels and say glory to God, glory to God in the highest. Jesus Christ, may you receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Amen.